Father, we're thankful for your goodness to us, that you have been with us uh, all of our lives, even when we didn't realize it. And we thank you then for this morning to look into your word and to see what you have for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have Memorial Day. But along with that, I mean, there's just a bunch of things piled up, graduations and so I know of a story of a, um, brings both of them together, a retired army general who gave a commencement speech, commencement, graduation speech, whatever it is, for uh, graduates. And uh, in all of the things that he said, the thing that probably was the most disturbing, or maybe the most helpful, was he told the graduates, he said, here's one thing you need to do every day. Get up and make your bed. And that's exactly the response he got from those graduates. It's like, what? Why would you get up every day and make your bed? And uh, even though they didn't ask the question, he answered it. He said, that way, when you get up, you already have a plan and you've accomplished something. Well, we have a great God, and he knows that we need stuff like that, too. In essence... The life that he's called us into is very simple. We only have one goal, the Great Commission, and we have one God, one Savior who we follow. What could be easier than that? And we just get up every day and we do what he wants us to do. That's just so simple. Being a disciple is earth-shakingly simple. The problem with all of that is that there's something wrong with us. And God knows that there is something wrong with us. And so as a result of that, he gives us checklists. He gives us motivation. He gives us things to uh, plan our day and to plan our lives. And he doesn't give up. His love is just like we were just singing about. And the thing is, it's meant to take us in a particular direction. God is very interested in seeing us being able to unfold our lives. And he's a good teacher because he does it in such a way that it's built upon what you want or what you don't want. God doesn't really get in anyone's face and say, you've got to do that. But if you're willing, if you're interested, if you're motivated, and he works in that too, he'll give you the steps to go exactly where you need to go. And it just relies on, it's just all built on us. So along with Memorial Day, it's sort of the idea too of how does that affect you? Do you feel like making any changes today because today's Memorial Day? I mean, I think it's a good day to go out and celebrate, right? If you know what you're celebrating. And even in the joy of that celebration, there would be a sense of sort of mature humility because we realize that we are standing on other men and women's shoulders throughout history to be exactly where we are. So as we come to this portion of Ephesians, it's actually a place of decision because the first three chapters of Ephesians are utterly amazing. I mean, this is text that is worth reading at least once a year. It just could not be richer. It is Paul 
summarizing something that is just so amazing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Should that change your life? Should that maybe cause you at some point to say, you know, I should, I should ramp it up a little bit. I should bring it up a notch. And you he made alive when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, you had no choice. You were without God. You were separated from Christ. But God changed everything through Jesus Christ. Is there a way that we could kind of celebrate that? And is that maybe a point in somebody's life where you say, you know what, I need to be a little more disciplined. So what we have at the end of this, they, they call this Paul's greatest prayer in the New Testament. And I think it is. I mean, there's a couple in Romans that kind of come close that are like doxologies that are really good. But this really does win the prize. And what you don't realize in this is that Paul had to come to this place. And very often, you know, anybody who teaches a lot, what they do, they share their journey. They share their path. What got me to where I am today? And in that, you, you kind of bunch truth up. And so I really think that this last thing that Paul says is actually his journey in some respects. You realize that when you have the book of Acts, you really don't see Paul's life at all. It's so accordion. Even in, when he was in Damascus, after he first gave his life to Christ, he's gone for three years. And even the, even the, the, the scholars don't know what to do with that, but it's true. He's gone from Damascus for three years. He comes back, and that's when they let him down the wall. Paul had to process all this stuff. What does an ardent, almost terroristic Jew do with the fact that now he realizes that he was wrong? How does he change his heart? Just like that, the Holy Spirit. And then he's gone for 14 years, and he talks of all of this in Galatians. Paul had to process this. And so I think what you get at the end of chapter 3 is Paul's process. And he shares it in such a way, this is the genius of it. And this is why we should just thank the Lord. It's almost like a checklist. If you wanted to, you could walk through this prayer, this thing that he says, which is just an amazing thing. And you could course out the next year. You could lay out the next year or maybe the rest of your life. Because I don't think Paul actually got to the end of what he was talking about here. But anyway, that's what we're going to be looking at. So if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll see what the Holy Spirit has here for us. I think this is just amazing that the Lord would put this here. Now, I'm going to cut to the chase right away. So if there is a disaster outside, two garbage trucks collide, whatever it may be, and there's a, an eco-disaster, and we have to leave the building, I'll tell you what the end of this looks like. The end of this looks like the glory of God. That through the church, God would be glorified, and through Jesus Christ.
So, it says this right at the end, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So that's where we're going. Glorifying God. Now, the thing about that is just this. And I, I'm going to give a tip to the ladies here in doing this too. You glorify God the way God wants to be glorified. Right? And the best illustration I can find for this is that there's an important holiday coming up here, Father's Day. And so ladies... It would not be appropriate to buy your husband a Clinique gift. Now, not too many men here have experience with makeup taker offer. It's really good. It really leaves your skin. No. That wouldn't be an appropriate gift for a guy. Or fuzzy bunny shoes or anything like that. You know, uh, or, or hand lotion. Unless it's concrete hand lotion. <laughs> you know, you can get your fingers in there and dig in. So the thing is... If you bought a gift for your husband that was really for you, that you really wanted, that's okay, but it isn't a gift for him. And glorifying God, God actually gives some detail on how he would like to be glorified. But it would all come out through this. So the end of what Paul is talking about here is the glory of God. Through the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So let's work. Let's start back at the beginning and look at what God, in His love, has laid out as kind of a checklist for us. Now you realize those first three chapters are the plan of redemption, right? How God has saved mankind and He has saved us, and so this all fits together really well. So Paul starts out like this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. For this reason. Now, this will be your legwork. You need to go back through all three chapters and see what Paul has been talking about. Because the last thing that he talked about was how God selected him in the plan of redemption how God is using him, how he is using his life. And when Paul sees that he was utterly lost, that he had no hope, even being a Jew, that he was, he was destined for hell, but God chose him out of his grace. It's all in there. It is the plan of redemption. Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. There are no families that are written in the book of life that are not there because God the Father did not grant it. When Jesus is in conflict with the Jews, what does he say? He says, don't mutter about this stuff. No one can come to me unless it is granted to him by my Father. And in order for your name to be written there or anybody's name to be written there, God has to allow it to happen. He doesn't allow the disingenuous, he doesn't allow the people who really don't care to actually come to the Son. But for those whose heart is open, who really want to know, he opens the way. I think he throws down tons of breadcrumbs. And so when Paul says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom all families are named. The thing that I catch in this is I bow my knees before the Father. That sense of humility. Because I really think that in that 
granting, in that openness, there's that sense of brokenness, that sense of deep need. You know, when Jesus calls the weary to him, he says, Come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. You cannot learn from Jesus. This is discipleship here. You cannot learn from Jesus unless you are willing to take the yoke. It's humility. Humility is almost like spiritual magic. It shows the openness and genuineness of our heart. Now, here's the thing. Some of us have been following this for a long time, and that humility wears away. We forget about that early day when we understood our helplessness, and somehow we, we start boosting ourselves up. We get involved in all sorts of things, and what that does is it builds a kind of arrogance. And what Jesus does in his love to us, if we stay close to him, is he's constantly peeling that away, washing us with the water of his word, and getting that arrogance, and getting that pride, and getting that... that um, uh, distractedness off of us and bringing us back to that place where we're teachable again. So I would say the first thing, if you're building a checklist that you would put in here, would be humility. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. I will do everything and anything that my Father tells me to do. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his grace, he may grant you to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So what this is talking about is you need, we need strengthening with might through his spirit in the inner man. We don't even know why we need that yet, but he put that in there, so we've got to talk about it. That according to the riches of his grace... He may grant you to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, so that we get to that. What is it that's, what has he given us that would strengthen us? What has God in his care for us given us that we could daily avail ourselves of, and it wouldn't cost us a penny, to be strengthened every day on an ongoing basis through his spirit in the inner man? The riches of his glory. The riches of his glory. Is there a book on the riches of his glory? Yes. Yes, there is a book on the riches of his glory. It's right here. And you've already got one. So you don't have to pay another penny for it. But here's the deal. What are the riches of his glory? As you walk through the Bible, what do, you, what do you get every year? You get creation. And then you get this fantastic, amazing, sometimes confusing way that he has worked with people like Abraham and Moses and Noah. And he has brought his plan of redemption to the place where it is now. Jacob was a total train wreck. But he brought it through Jacob. David got wrecked this week. But he brought it through David. God if you look at all of this, and I'm, a, I, I'm summarizing it, right? If you are in the Bible every year, every day, this is what you understand. He cannot fail. 
There is no power bigger than God. You don't have to hear it in a song. You don't have to hear it from a preacher. You see it written there. And the Holy Spirit does something totally different if you're reading it. He strengthens you in your spirit, in your inner person. Are you willing to dare to follow him? Are you willing to understand that if he asks you to do something, it cannot fail. He will give you the strength and ability to do whatever he asks you to do. That's an amazing thing. And that's what he promises. And you know, the thing is, is that we need it all the time. And I'll show you why in a minute, but it's just enough to say that we are all leaky pails. The thing is, I am. You may not be, but I am. And see, here's the ingenious thing that God in his grace for us has done. He's written this stuff out so it's available to us so we can keep coming back to it and we can keep filling up. The sin within us hurts us. Our memories, our, our hearts get struck with fear and we'll talk about that in a minute too. But it's always there to be refilled. He gets the dust off of us through the washing of water with the word, and then he fills us up with it, and it leaks out. You know, I knew these uh, teenage kids. They took a, uh, they were from the youth group in Wauwatosa, and they would take this bike ride every year. And the thing that was amazing, I remember hearing it the one year, and I couldn't believe it. They took a week's worth of food with them, and they ate it in the first two days, thinking that if they ate it in the first two days, it would stay with them the whole time. These obviously were guys. And then they related how they suffered for the last part of the week, and they had to spend all their money on burgers and other other things. They realized that eating all that food in the first two days wasn't going to help. They needed to pace themselves. But we don't pace ourselves. God paces us. He recommends his word to us. It fills us with the understanding of his glory. Now, there's a di- another part of glory, understanding his glory, that we'll get to a little bit further in this. But it's experiencing. When God asks us to do something, when he does it, what happens? That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, so that, so that, This is why you need to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And you're going, wait a minute, I've already got that one. Let's just say he's talking about abiding in the Lord. This is, Paul knows he's writing this to Christians, so why would he write that to Christians? So Christ can dwell in your hearts through faith. Why would, that's already there, right? Not exactly. In John 15, when Jesus is talking to the disciples, he says, abide in me and I in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Abiding in Christ is a choice. He always stays in us. He is always faithful. But is our life always centered on him? Is he always abiding in us? Do we allow him to abide in us? And the testimony of the scriptures, no. 
It's a choice that we make. That's why at Revelation 3.20, you got Jesus on the outside knocking on the door of Christians saying, hey, I'd like to come in. So John 15, what does that say? It says, if you abide in me, for he who abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit. Hmm. For if you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you will, and it will be done for you. Jesus makes that very conditional to his men, not to anybody else. His guys are sitting right in front of him. So here's the idea. Things happen in our lives. This has been, a, this has been an interesting year, right? And fear can come in. Okay, that, that, uh, that uh, seed that was sown among the thorns, right? As they go their way, they are choked by the cares of life. One of those cares of life is health, right? Anybody had health concerns this last year because of COVID-93 or whatever that thing is? I'm already forgetting it. I've made a conscious choice. Of course. How about paying rent or paying bills or having things that are outside of our control, the cares of the world. And you know what happens in those things? We start making decisions. And Jesus just becomes a nuisance sometimes because he's saying, I want you to trust me. I want you to go slow and we'll take care of it. But that somehow is counterintuitive to the way we think we need to take care of the problem. We walk in an office and we yell at people. I've heard Christians yelling at people. I don't think Jesus is so abiding in that kind of situation. You see what I'm getting to? You know what's interesting is after this series, there's going to come a series in the summer about the kings of Israel. And you know what's so interesting about those kings? Every one of them started out well, except Manasseh, who finished well. Whereas most of the other kings didn't finish well. All the other kings showed great faith. But what's so instructive is it was something different that ate their faith away. What ate Asa's faith away was not what ate Hezekiah's faith away. What ate Hezekiah's faith away was he was 39 years old with a terminal disease. He never recovered his faith. Even though God saved his life, his faith was never the same. We just watched David have a a train wreck. David will never be the same man until he's resurrected on earth. And then it'll be better. The point is, is that everything can shake us. That's why Paul says that according to the riches of his grace, he may strengthen you with might through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ can dwell in your hearts through faith. So that he can dwell in your hearts through faith. And you know you're unshakable because you have Jesus Christ. Well, what about? Nah, forget what about. Because in the center of your being, you have Jesus Christ. And he is almighty God and God cannot be defeated. There is nothing that can take away his power. There is nothing that can keep you from belonging to him and going into heaven with him. But like this vase here, you know, I mean, yeah, it looks nice. But if I give it a little bit of a kick, boom, it's going to fall. And things kick us. So what would you do to keep that vase secure there? 
I'm a guy, I go for leg bolts. Leg bolts and big iron things and stomp them down in nails. I'm sure Mike would, and everybody else would appreciate that right there, but that may not even do the trick. But there is something that does the trick. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love. Any gardeners here? Rooted and grounded in love. The love of Christ. See, because if he's able to stay in your heart long enough, if you stay with him long enough, you are so confident in his love. And see, there's another checklist. You didn't even know it. Paul had another checklist in Romans. Therefore, being justified by his grace, to have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received entrance into this grace in which we stand. I'm horrible at memory verses. Um, And not only so, we rejoice in the thought of sharing God's glory. Not only that, we rejoice in tribulation. How many people rejoice in tribulation? Let's see your hands. Of course I don't rejoice in tribulation. Knowing that with God, tribulation, yeah, it brings patience or endurance. Endurance, after you endure a while and you see what God can do, it brings character. It starts becoming a part of you. It isn't rote anymore. It's character. And character develops itself into hope. You understand because you've now personally experienced. And it says hope does not disappoint us. Why? Because it says the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's the same thing in a way. Paul's just talking about it differently here. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength or, or power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. What is the breadth and length and height and depth? I like that. You know, and what, but see, Paul breaks out of that really quick. What is the breadth and length that you may power to comprehend? Now, who are our scientists here? Pavan's a scientist. We have any other scientists here? Raise your hand if you're a scientist. 180 IQ, something like that. Anyway, that you may comprehend the length and breadth and height and depth. And then he breaks out, and to know. I like that. That you may comprehend the length and breadth and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. How can knowledge surpass knowledge? How did that happen? That's why I'm a pastor and not a scientist. But it's so interesting. It's just amazing. Because I really think Paul had a little bit of an emotional boop in this. That you may comprehend the breadth and length and height and to know, to experience. See, there's one thing to be able to draw it out on paper and diagram the love of God and talk about what the Greek words are and that. You need to know that. But even better to experience it. And see, that's where the rubber meets the road. That you may know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. You know, this kind of happened to the disciples. So, John 6, he feeds the 5,000. Then he sends the disciples away and they go on a boat ride. This, is a, this should have been a good boat ride because Jesus wasn't with them. Whenever he was with them, it was a bad boat ride. But it wasn't a good boat ride. 
And then right in the middle of it, Jesus shows up. He meant to pass them by, but the Holy Spirit kind of booped one of them. And they saw Jesus. They all start crying out in terror. And Jesus says, take hard side. Don't be afraid. And then Peter says, Lord, (laughs) if it's you, bid me come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. Peter gets out. He's walking on the water until he sees the wind. Not the waves, the wind. And as he's sinking, you realize there is no process to sinking. There is no gradual sinking on this planet. He should have just gone kabloop. As he's, his faith is failing and he's sinking, Jesus reaches out and catches him and, and he says to him, Why did you doubt, O oh man of little faith? They get in the boat, they come to the land they're going to, and they all worship him in the boat. What a f- fortunate worship service. Because immediately after this, and they declare him to be the Son of God, he goes to Capernaum, and now this is where Jesus' popularity tanks. All the disciples leave him, the, the huge herd of disciples. The people are going away from him. He looks at the twelve and he says, Do you also wish to go? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And here's the tie-in here. And we have believed and have come to know. At the beginning, we were just believing conceptually that you are the Messiah. But we have now experienced. What in the world do you do with experience? We can conceptualize it. We can comprehend it. But we have been in your presence. And you calm the waves and the wind just like that. And you walked upon the sea and we've seen these healings and everything. We know. And the reason that knowing the love of Christ defies all knowledge, is beyond all knowledge, is because even though you can define the words, the love of Christ is being redefined daily and weekly and monthly in the lives of people who are really trusting Him for big things. And they see God do an impossible thing here. And this guy I know is sick, he, an Indian guy, right? And, and he says, okay, I've got this illness that I'll never recover from. And so we need to go back to India. And his wife, is, uh, she's not even a Christian, and she's starting to pray already. I don't want to go back to India. I like it in Houston. And some lady says, can I pray for you in Jesus' name? He's got no other alternative, right? He says, sure, that would be nice. He's healed. And that adds a new category. It adds a new description in that guy's life for the love of Jesus Christ. And he gave his life to Jesus Christ, he and his wife. And they attend church, and they're our landlord, so I know the story. The love of Christ is rewritten. It's not rewritten, it's added to in greater depth by you being willing to dare God for a big thing and pray. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I don't think Paul got there, but I think he was striving. You know that weird part in Philippians chapter 3? where he says, I've I've counted everything as rubbish that I might know Christ and be righteous in Him as opposed to being righteous in the law that I may know Him, right? 
that I may know him conceptually, experience him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share in his suffering so that if possible, and it wasn't possible, that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. I could live right now as if I were already resurrected. Nobody can do that. But Paul tried. I press on to make it my own. I haven't made it my own, brethren, but I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. That's the love of Christ. And Paul had experience, he had experience after experience. He also had beating after beating. I don't know if we want to enroll in that class. But anyway, Paul was thoroughly into it. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What a thing to strive for. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Do you need that? Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. And I'm just going to cut to the chase on this. I, I think this is the plan of redemption. That's why Jesus says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. For in this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I think it all has to do with the Great Commission. And you want to glorify God? In this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And he repeats it again in John 15 as if the disciples needed it one more time. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you will, and it'll be done for you. You know, the thing is, I think it's just only fair. When you look at, uh, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, well, we know how it is glory in Christ Jesus, right? Jesus did exactly what the Father commanded him. I have accomplished the work that you gave me to do on earth. I've given them your word. I've manifested your name to the men who you gave to me. Thine they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. You know, I I think it's sort of aim small, miss small. I think if we aim at the Great Commission, everything else stays in perspective. I think it's easy to miss the Great Commission. Yeah, you got your checklist, and that's as far as I'm going. But it's only fair... I think, to conclude these amazing three chapters in Ephesians with this benediction. So close your eyes. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ can dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have power to comprehend with all the saints what is the height and breadth and depth and length and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who by the power at work within us is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus unto all generations forever and ever. Amen.